You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. So we do want to welcome everybody online. Uh, we have people who join us every week here at Grace Online uh, in the States, everywhere from New York to California. So if you're out there, uh, thank you for joining us. I actually prayed this weekend that one person from Somalia would join us because, why Somalia? It's the least Christian country in the world. I wondered that this week. 1,000 Christians among 10.5 million. So I prayed this week that one person in Somalia might join us. If you're out there, uh, who knows if God's answering it, but welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you here. Uh, it's incredible. We want to join our, encourage our people who are here at our Overland Park campus to uh, join us in worship. We thank you for being here today, whether you're in the venue, the cafe, the auditorium. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and you can join us there. Our ushers have Bibles. If you want to borrow a Bible or take a gift, that's great. Just take it home. Acts chapter 2. Raise your hands. Ushers will get you those Bibles. I want you to think about the world we live in, how extraordinary this invention of smartphones are. We live in technologically the most connected time in the history of the world. So right now, we can engage in sporting events like join in Rio, 5,500 miles away, and we're connected, baby, around the world. We can join worship services. On the other side of the planet, we are connected. We can have hundreds or thousands of friends. We are connected. And yet we are more isolated relationally than at any time in history. The average American spends over 11 hours a day, over 11 hours a day, engaging with screens. And uh, you say, well, I I only spend like seven hours a day on screens. That's because somebody out there is spending 15 hours a day pulling up the curve on screens every single day. We have less face-to-face interactions. You've been in an interaction and they're not fully engaged with you. Just, hold on one second. This is a really important text. Okay, that's a fake text. But they're like, they're like talking to you, but seriously, keep talking, like multitasking. We are less engaged personally now than in the history of the world. And here's, here's the, one of the challenges for us and the way God designed us. Like, God designed you and I to grow personally when we are connected relationally. We grow personally when we're connected relationally. So today we're going to continue our series. It's called Lean on Me. We're looking in the book of Acts at the early church and the small group environments they had, meeting from house to house, seeing a picture of what God has for us, and having legitimate connecting community. Not just being connected electronically, but connecting to others relationally. And if you're taking notes, two things to write down as we start. Number one, our title today is Lean on Me for Love. That's our topic. Lean on me for love. God designed you and I to have a small group of, maybe it's one-on-one, two people or five people or 13 people like Jesus, where you're each other leaning on each other for love. That's why God designed you and I. Here's a key verse on the topic of love. It's profound. It's something Jesus said, John 13, 35. Listen to this verse. It's shocking, actually. Jesus said, by this, this practice, all will know that you are my disciples. Here's how people know you're the follower of Jesus. If, 
you have love for one another. It's like how we treat each other is the way the world knows we're real followers of Jesus. What that means is people don't know we're followers of Jesus by our websites. They don't know by our buildings that we're followers of Jesus. They don't know by our music. They don't know by our messages. That one hurts me personally. They don't know by our messages that we follow Jesus. They don't know by our ministries we follow Jesus or our activism. They don't know what people, they don't know we're followers by what we stand against in this world. They don't know by your Christian t-shirt. They don't know by the fish on your car. They know by how you treat others who are believers. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, that is profound. We started last week in the series. If you missed last week, it was a legitimate move of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to go online. Uh, we had spontaneous baptisms at the end, and we had 105 people baptized. If you didn't see this, go online. It was just one chaos, calm, disruption, awesome. Go online and check it out. That's last week's topic on our website. So we're going to be reading Acts 2 and see what small groups are like. Like what love really looks like when you see love, people offering love to each other. Three phrases we'll see here in Acts 2, verse 44 through 46. Those are our three points today, the three ways we show love. And they all talk about being together or unified. And, and here's what it says, Acts two forty-four. Now, all who believed were together. Here's our first phrase, were together. And had all things in common. All things in common, our second phrase, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, not just a weekend kind of thing, but every single day with one accord. There's our third phrase, with one accord. In the temple, that's the worship center, and breaking bread from house to house, there's our small groups. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Today we're going to see the three ways people show love when they're legitimately connected in the kind of small group environment Jesus modeled with his 13, the church at Jerusalem modeled with house-to-house groups, the way God wants us to lean on each other for love. And so let's ask God to open these up to us uh, this weekend. God, I pray there be such a move of the Spirit. People be clearing their calendars, doing whatever it takes. If they don't have a small group, a grace group, a legitimate community, because what's at stake is the world knowing that we actually follow you, Jesus. What's at stake is us actually growing spiritually in the model you demonstrated. What's at stake is us discipling others in the model you showed us. So everything about our Christian life's at stake right here, impact on this world. May you move in our life to do the largest sacrifice of those who have busy lives and so many commitments to see how foundational this commitment is, how needed this is for us and for others and for the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's look at the first phrase in Acts chapter 2. And it's the phrase, we're together. What does that talk about with love? He says in verse 44, Now all who believed, we saw last week, everyone who believed actually got baptized in water. 3,000 baptisms in one day. All who believed 
We're together. There's our first phrase. You can circle or underline. That phrase, we're together, only appears in Greek four times in Scripture. And every time it's being physically in the same room. It's being physically. The church, because they believed, made the commitment to gather together. And so you can see, if you're taking notes, here's our first way we show love. God wants us to have a kind of group. Number one, where people show God's love to each other by meeting together. Where people show God's love by actually meeting physically together. Where they circle a day on your calendar. Like this is too important of a practice. Jesus modeled this. The church at Acts modeled this. I need this. They gathered together. Does verse 44 describe your spiritual life? Could God say about you? Now, this man, this woman, this student who actually believes in me, they were together with other believers. So does that describe your spiritual life, your rhythms? There's power in gathering together with other believers on a regular basis from house to house. So one of our couples in our grace group wrote this after a year in our grace group about gathering together physically changed their view of love. Here's what they wrote. I can truly say that I thank God for giving us the opportunity to meet you all, talking to our group, and to be able to share the stories of our lives without any judgments or bad feelings. The most amazing thing was I felt being loved and accepted no matter what I did or went through or what happened in my life. I also hope that we can continue our friendship growing spiritually. Like the commandment, the call to gather together in house to house with other believers. Do you realize that's a command? So we are commanded to open up our apartment Open up our house, open up, if you live in a tent, that tent you live in, and host somebody there. Uh, In fact, that's commanded over in 1 Peter 4, verse 9. 1 Peter 4, 9, Peter says this, be hospitable. That's not optional. He's not saying be hospitable if you like hosting people. He's not saying be hospitable if you're an extrovert. If you like your house, be hospitable to one another Without grumbling. By the way, I can almost hear the grumbling in the background right now. Like, by the way, in the Greek, you know, without grumbling, you know what it literally means? Without grumbling. Stop your grumbling. Be hospitable. That phrase, by the way, comes from two Greek words. Two Greek words are friend and stranger. When you're hospitable, you're offering friendship to a stranger. Is there a better description of launching a new small group? I don't know these people. These are strangers. I'm going to invite them out to my house, and we're going to open up and do an experiment of a small group. You're literally being a friend of strangers. You might be wondering, how in the world do I do this? Do I just go and invite random people? Lord, let me bump into people in the hallway, invite them. Have we got a plan for you? This week, it's actionable on Friday, if you don't have a small group, here's the message I want you to hear from God Almighty. That This is a way you can solve this thing this week. 6.30 Friday, group link. Tons of grace group leaders are going to be here, and they're terrified no one wants to go to their house and join their group. They are. They don't say it. They're too smart, but they are. And then a bunch of people are afraid no one wants them in their group. They're showing up too. And so this Friday, 6.30, if you need child care, free child care, you got to sign up online, though. Let us know you're bringing children. 
join our grace group this Friday, our group link, meet leaders, and ask God to knit your heart with people. How do you sense love when you see the commitment to gather together? There's a second phrase that the church at Acts in Jerusalem were modeling. Look at verse 44. It's the phrase, all things in common. It says now, verse 44, now all who believed were together, that's physically gathering together, and had all things in common. That's stuff you own, stuff you have. Well, what do they do with it? They sold their possessions. In Greek, the word possessions there in your New Testament always deals with real estate. Dudes were selling their third home, their second home. Selling the property they owned and hunted on. Selling their timeshare. Taking the money. What do they do with the money? And they sold also their goods. What does goods represent? All the other stuff you have. Selling their collection. Selling it. Pocketing, eBaying it. Craigslisting it. Pocketing the money. What were they doing the money? They weren't pocketing it. They were giving it. They divided them among all as anyone had need. That's how you see love. Here's our second thought. How do you see love when you're in a small group environment or a church where people show God's love by sharing together? Where people actually show God's love by sharing together. This type of giving is called alms, A-L-M-S. Alms is a non-tax deductible gift because you're giving to an individual or house. It's when a person gives to another person who's in need. That's called alms. It's giving to the needy yourself directly. And that's how you sense love. Over the years, our church has seen people rise up to give to others in need in the church. I mean, people have bought gas cards for households. Here you go. Stocked up whole houses with groceries, like filled their poor bare cupboards and refrigerators with groceries. Paid utility bills for other households. Wrote checks. Here's $300. There you go. Here's $2,000. You need that. When is the last time you did something like that? That you did what the Bible calls alms. Person to person, household to household, or group to household giving, which is not tax deductible, given directly to needy that you know God touched your heart, and you do more than pray. You're praying, but you're like, you need this. When's the last time you did that? Now, there's conservative financial people here saying, Tim, Tim, hold on. What in the world does giving to people financially have to do with love? I separate those issues. I'm conservative over here. I manage my money, and I love you over here, and never the twain shall meet. Jesus would disagree. If you write down Matthew 6.21, Jesus connects your heart to your money. There's an invisible string from your heart to your money. What Jesus says, where your money is, there your heart is also. Which means you can change the nature of your heart. If you want to love God more, you give to God more. If you want to love people more, you give to people more. Whatever you're giving to or spending money, you love more. Where your money is, your treasure is, there your heart is also. So it was years ago, there was a guy out of work. He was out of work month after month after month. The grinding pressure. This is not some yahoo who goes to the phone book of churches saying, hey, can I have money? Can I have money? Can I have money? Because they're out there. They just, that's their professional job, asking churches for money. That's their job. 
But this is somebody who was part of the church, who served in ministry, who was part of grace groups. This is the, this was, they, they all did, and they were out of work, trying to get a job, cutting costs, pulling the belt down, and mortgage is way behind, bills way behind. All they were praying for them knew this. So there was a collection behind their back taken up. Not run through the church. This is alms directly to them. And that group handed them $15,000 in cash in our church. It was the people that knew them and loved them that behind their back said, we got to do something. We pray. And like, when is the last time you were part of something like that? It changed their life. So this person wrote about that experience. Before, where they felt all the pressure, they felt frustration, stress, burden, and shame. A shame they couldn't provide for their family. They were doing everything they could. When they received the gift, this is a guy who's not a crier. He said, tears were brought to my eyes, and I didn't want to accept the gift. The amount, $15,000 in cash, blew me away but showed me how my friends understood my situation, my mortgage being way late, bills past due, beyond what I ever expected. After the gift, I didn't deserve to be, I realized I didn't deserve to be without work because I'd worked really hard to try to get a job. And I didn't deserve $15,000 of cash support. And I realized both were true. That's what grace is. Receiving what you don't deserve. There are three types of giving in the Bible. Three quick words you can write down. I'll define them. There's tithes, offerings, and alms. Three types of giving. Tithes, that's your first 10% when you give to God. Through everything you receive, all your income, 10% to God. You do it because you love him. God calls you. That's called tithing. Offerings, when you hit 10% of everything you have, you want to give to other organizations or ministries or missions, that's great. Do that over and above offerings. Those are both tax deductible. Alms is in addition to those things, you're like, that person needs something, and you're doing checks. You're, have you ever sold something to give something to somebody in need? Like, these dudes were selling property, selling collections, and giving to those who had need. And they knew them. You say, how in the world would they do that? Like, that sounds crazy. They had a different attitude toward their money and possessions. Acts 4.32 says this, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Now notice their attitude toward their own possessions. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Not one person was presumptuous enough to say that the house they owned was their house. Not one person was deceived enough to think their their money was actually their money. They realized it wasn't their own. Do you realize how easy it is to give away somebody else's money? Try me. I challenged all weekend long, would you please come to me and ask me to give away your money? I will do it without conscience. I will find so easy. I will give away your money like that. It's easy. If somebody asks you to give away their their money, you'd be like, oh, whoo! I got no problem. Why do you have a problem giving? You're deceived. You think it's your money. Not one person in this church thought anything that they possessed was their own. Their cars, not their cars. God's cars. Their money, not their money. God's money. Inheritance, not their inheritance. God's inheritance. Their collections, not my collection. God's money. It's all God's money. And when you're giving, you're dealing God's money. Which is why when you realize it's not yours, of course you're generous. It's not yours anyway. 
You say, I, I would love to be able to do that financially. Can I get in a better place financially too? I want to be a part of that. I want to give. I want to get better at this. That's awesome. Have we got a deal for you? Financial Peace University, a series can equip you on how to handle your money in a wise, financially biblical way, is coming two different nights. One on Wednesday nights, one on Saturday nights. We need you to register, though. Go to our website. Go to Grace Groups. And we can equip you to get better at managing your money biblically. How do you see love? When people are showing God's love by sharing together. You see it? And the world goes, wow, what's wrong with you? That's awesome. There's a third way we can show God's love. Being of one accord is the phrase. Acts 2.46. So continuing daily with one accord... Here's our phrase. In the temple, that's the worship center, and breaking bread from house to house. There's their small groups with one accord there. They ate their food. Can't have a grace group without food. Their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now that phrase, one accord, is also translated elsewhere in the Bible with one mind. Do you have a group of people that you're of one mind with? One mind. It implies agreement around the essentials. Essential beliefs versus non-essential beliefs. Essential values, how we treat each other. Essential goals. If you have essential beliefs with someone, essential values, how we treat each other, essential goals, you're in one accord. Leads to this thought. Number three, how do you see love? You have a church with groups where people show God's love by agreeing together. People show God's love by agreeing together. It's kind of like taking a walk together. So if we're going to go walk together today, we don't need to agree on every detail in life to walk together. But there is a certain amount of of agreement we need to walk together. That's Amos 3.3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? So what do you have to agree on if you're going to walk together? The time you'll walk, the location you'll walk, the direction from there you'll walk, and the pace you'll walk. That's all. That's all you need to agree on, four things. You don't have to agree on everything else. In fact, likely, by the way, if you find somebody who agrees on every detail with somebody else, every detail they agree, I can promise you one thing, only one of you is thinking. That's true. So you don't need agreement on every single detail. That's absolutely impossible. But you do need essential agreements. And the way it looks like in the church world, those essential things are the beliefs, essentials we agree on, Values how we treat each other, those essentials, and the goals we're all about. And by the way, you actually find those beliefs, refined and refined those beliefs, values, and goals, not in a large group setting. Who knows what beliefs are bumping around large groups? Who knows what personal values of what we treat each other bumping around? Who knows what goals are going on? You know where they're unearthed and refined? From house to house. They're refined in your grace group where you're meeting at Price Chopper or home or in a room or whatever. That's where they're refined. And this is a constant battle to stay united. Ephesians 4.3 says it's, it's really hard work. Ephesians 4.3, endeavoring, which means working really hard. We've got to work really hard to keep the unity of the Spirit. We don't make unity as Christians. We keep the unity God already made. We keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And it's really hard work. And it's a battle every single day. It's a battle for me, battle for you. I'll tell you where the battle is. The battle is when you have to have a conversation with somebody 
and your number one opponent is fear. It's my opponent. It's your opponent. I know something about our church right now, about you. Maybe you're visiting first time. I know something about you and me. We're all the same so in this way so that you have a difficult conversation to have right now. There are people that there's a conversation you should have. Why aren't you having it? You're afraid. You're afraid you won't handle it right. You're afraid they won't receive it right. You're afraid it won't go well. You're afraid of how you'll respond in the moment. They'll respond. So you put it off. And Satan is winning because of fear. Because fear is the opposite of faith. Faith is saying, God, if I'm going to follow you, work hard, I'm going to believe you're going to use this for good. Fear is like, I can't do it. I won't. I can't. That's fear. And there are households divided right now, grace groups divided right now, ministries divided right now because someone got their nose bent out of shape. Someone saw a fact, made up stories around those facts. They complained, not to the person they're frustrated, but to other people. And you need to use Matthew 18 and go one-on-one and talk to them. It is really hard to fight the fear that grips our hearts. I know, I'm just like you. We're just the same. Fear grips our hearts. We have to work really hard to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. By the way, one of the hardest ways to apply this is when somebody has complained to you about somebody else. And so you say, rightly so, well, Matthew 18 says you need to go one-on-one and talk to him. And so they say, no. So you, get, you, know, you, really, so you follow up. Have you had that conversation? And they say, not yet, but I'm thinking about it. One of the hardest ways, most important ways we apply Matthew 18 to go one-on-one is to Matthew 18, the non-Matthew 18-er. Here's how it works. They complain to you. You're like, you need to go talk to them one-on-one. You fall up later. They complain again. You're like, okay, if you can't get victory in your heart, you'd be totally okay with them. You got to go talk to them. And if you don't go talk to them, Matthew 18, them, because you have a problem with them, then I now have a problem with you. I'm going to Matthew 18 you. And I'm going to bring one. This is the first step. I'm going to bring one or two more in to get you to go talk to them. You have to Matthew 18, the non-Matthew 18-er. People sometimes need help. To have those courageous conversations, which bring about the kind of unity God intends. If not, Satan wins. Division wins. How do you see love? When people show God's love by working really hard to agree together. Now, I want you to imagine, imagine, imagine. What if everyone at Grace did this? What if everyone at the end of this week, at the end of this week, both explored grace group leadership. Like on Wednesday night, we got a grace group leader training Wednesday night. All of our grace group leaders are invited. We ask you to be there. But it's a great way for potential grace group leaders to go there. If you think at all, maybe I could do this, maybe I don't, and fear grips your heart, we need you to be there this Wednesday. What a safe way to explore grace group leadership. You're not committing to lead a group. You're only committing to go listen to what it looks like to lead a group. That's all you're committing to. How safe is that this Wednesday to potentially lead a group? And there's people here going, wow, I know I need to do that. That's God talking to you. And this Friday, being there to explore the leaders and people and let God knit your heart and experiment with a new grace group. If we all did this, what would it look like? Listen to this story. I can't think that I'm the only man who feels somewhat reluctant to engage in social activities. That doesn't come as natural for me um, because I'm, 
I'm pretty good at being independent and kind of handling my own business. But you were the one that brought up the importance of being involved in a grace group. Well, we really wanted to study the Bible with with people and, and to do series, but it's also so much bigger than that. We wanted um, people to live life with. We wanted our kids to get closer with other kids that um, were growing up in homes like we're trying to have. Um, deeper connections, people to play um, volleyball with in the backyard, to have barbecues with, go to concerts with. In thinking about the previous groups, small groups that we had been involved with, which were not at Grace and not organized in the same way and not organized surrounding a starting series, um, our experience had been one of continued disorganization and the inability to make meaningful, genuine connections. I found that the community series was so effective in building the foundation of our group. It um, transformed what would normally be just a Bible study and people getting together from 7 to 8.30 once a week to actual authentic friendships, people living a life journey together, um, women getting together and, and talking about raising their kids and their marriages outside of that time period, um, calling each other, um, texting each other, um, living their lives together. It's like, it's like a friend group. And the way that the, the series started by each of us kind of breaking the ice and then telling our stories and encouraging you to go deep and really share. I found out that I wasn't the only broken, um, not Christian enough person in Johnson County. I found out that most of the other people here were um, just as damaged as me. And um, the friendships that we've created um, are tremendous. The spiritual growth that we've had in the group is tremendous. One of the questions that's asked in the series early on um, is on a scale of one to ten, you know, where, where would you put your faith in your life? Your, you know, from prayer to Bible study to um, all of it. Where is it at? We went around the room and there were certainly some sevens and eights, but there were some threes and fives. And then eight weeks later, we did it again. And um, hearing folks change their numbers and the reactions to that and, and how it had impacted their lives. And um, we know that it was really God, like in all of this. It had very little to do with, with the things that we said or the time that we were together but really what he did with it.
So something the Blossers said struck me, and I found totally true. They said they, they'd done grace groups before. I've done grace groups or small groups for over two decades. And they said they used our, our brand new starting series called Community. I, really didn't, I didn't know what it was. I've done grace groups for years. I don't even really check it out. We did Community. I had no idea what we get involved with. And our group went deep. And it was amazing. I've never had the experience in my life to go to the potential to build friendships if a leader gets transparent and they get transparent, we experience that in our group. So if you've tried it before, I encourage you to try it again. Do an experiment. It's a different experience for me and my wife now, even from two decades of experience. Here's the thing. How do I, you say, how do I respond to what God's doing? If you are a leader or even a potential leader, you want to see what it even looks like. No commitment required, but you want to explore the possibility of being a leader of a grace group. This Wednesday, 6.30. We'll equip you, train you. You don't have to commit. But God will use that to make it safe for you to do that. It's what God wants you to do. There are other people here. You don't have a group. This Friday, 6.30. Make the time. Be here. There's groups early morning, late night, weekdays, weekends, all locations. It also applies to our Olathe campus starting Super Bowl Sunday. Both Overland Park, Olathe campuses, both are going to be a part of this. Imagine if we all did this. Imagine what the world would say. Wow, do they love each other. Let's pray. God, I do pray that our church would follow your pattern, Jesus. You changed the world by starting a small group. There was 13 guys, you plus 12 apostles. And you set the standard, you modeled how not just teaching, but life transformation happens. And God, we thank you for the early church. We see how they met both in the temple, that's their worship center, Plus, house to house, there were smaller groups meeting all around the city of Jerusalem. And there was these love-filled practices. They were meeting together, sharing together. They were working really hard to agree together about the essentials. And God, you spread the gospel that, that way. We pray that for our church. I pray for a strong move of your Holy Spirit to people look at their schedule, clear off their time. Lord, they have to do what our group does. We schedule Thursday, and every week we move it. It's, it sometimes it's Monday, it sometimes the group's Tuesday, the next week it's Wednesday, Thursday. It doesn't matter. We have a commitment together. If somebody here doesn't know Jesus, may they cry out to you, they call out to you, and the best way they know how, by faith, Give their life to you in prayer. Jesus, call people who don't have eternal life to surrender and receive you as Savior and Lord and give you total control of their heart and life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.